1: Welcome to Let It Roll, the podcast about how and why popular music happens hosted by Nate Wilcox. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter at Let It Rollcast and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. Let It Roll is a pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. Today, we continue our special eight episode miniseries on Netflix's hip-hop evolution documentary. Nate is joined by Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson, his cohorts from the YouTube show If the Shoes Fit. This week, they discuss Season 2, Episode 4 of Hip Hop Evolution, New York State of Mind, which covers a new generation of New York hip hop, including Nas, the Wu-Tang Clan, and Notorious Big. Pop in those earbuds and enjoy.
0: It's time to let it roll. I'm your host, Nate Wilcox, special edition hip-hop evolution. Joined once again by my co-hosts, Alexi Old and Eugene S. Robinson. Today, we're talking about episode season two, episode four, New York State of Mind. So... Even though we talked about West Coast Gangster Rap last season and season one, episode four, now we're dealing with New York's response to the commercial success of West Coast Gangster Rap in the early 1990s. first segment of the show talks about the Hotel Roosevelt, which is a Roosevelt Hotel, which is basically an excuse to talk about crate digging. Sure. second part talks about the SP-1200 sampler. Did I get that right? Yeah, the SP-1200 yeah. sample. And then we get into Nas. Then we get into Elmatic. matic and then we get into the Wu-Tang Clan and Notorious B.I.G. We'll talk about Wu-Tang Clan and Notorious B.I.G. next time. First up, the Roosevelt Hotel. And the key quote, this is Chio <laughs> Coker. You got to heckle me. You got to hate. Always, always with the heckling. I'm encouraging. I'm encouraging. Someone who, used to,
2: who, who, who used to write for me? Oh. Huh? he yeah. wrote a couple pieces for me when I was at... When I was doing Code Magazine, so All total right. di- total disclosure.
0: Yeah. I, good good to know. Good to know. But he says once these records hit, he's talking about the Chronic. It's like commercially, this is passing us by. This West Coast sound is taking over everything. We can't even get East Coast hip hop hip hop records played on the radio. So thoughts on this? Thoughts on the Roosevelt Hotel section? The way they did the structure the episode? Alexi.
3: I mean, I I, I kind of. I understood what they were trying to do and I thought it was very interesting in terms of the Roosevelt because I'd never heard of that before wasn't aware of it. So I learned a lot based on that. I learned how much, uh, uh, how much of their a dork scene there was. <laughs> it was the funniest thing. It was, I, I thought it was funny. Like even to this day, they're like, I'm not gonna tell you what my stuff is, you know, so um,
0: for me, that goes back to cool Herc.
3: Well, yeah, I that's mean, true. That's true. So I understood why they did it. Uh, but I guess as a casual, um, I lost interest relatively quickly, and um I had more interest. It was one of these things where I lost interest so quickly, I was wondering, okay, you know, in terms of the impact, I get it in terms of from a music from a musical standpoint, but I guess from a a, a fan casual standpoint and i'm thinking about okay impacts as if like are they going to have anything on the source or any of the you know so again I, I understood why they did it but i just it was just a little too deep in the weeds and a little too dorky for me to really get into after a couple of minutes
0: eugene
2: he's out of his mind <laughs> he's out speak of his speak up mind. for dork, well, eugene. Look, 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 look. I am because it, it, as I drink out know. the pork cup through a dork <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. but uh, I'm gonna say like look look I would rather hear from five producers than probably about 50 of the acts that they actually produced right mm. I mean there, there there's a there's a reason why I mean and this comes from maybe my history as editor-in-chief of EQ magazine mm-hmm. where I spent a lot of time with uh, producers And at one point, you know, I'll give you an example. Chiccarelli had said we were agonizing over still recording on tape, recording on digital, still recording on tape, recording digital. And he was like, I'll spend all the money you want. Get a guy in here who can do a 24 track, cut the tape. You can buy all the tape you want but the reality of it is your sound has much more to do with where I put this microphone than either of these systems and that cured it for us, right? Mm. So uh, then at that point, I start thinking, I start talking to the Johns brothers and listen to like the uh, Zeppelin. There were a million micro decisions that went into making every single one of these records that you dig, dig and love. And at one point Q-Tip is talking about that where he's like stuff is happening sonically that you, you don't even hear, but, it, but it's there. And, and, you know, so, and that, that nerd tradition, like from DJ Shadow, actually even use it as a record cover, where people uh, 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 record diving, you know, just standing there, not talking to each other, going through going through the bins, getting musical historical artifacts. Uh, to me, this was I was I was on full geek. I would much rather hear from these guys. But you're and, also a musician and,
3: too, so that's why in terms of, I tried to in terms of qualifying, yeah. it's like as a yeah, casual, yeah. as a fan, as somebody that's not involved in the creation of music music right that's why when yeah. i saw it i totally understood it it's just that it was going into something that as a casual as a fan as opposed to being on the other side you know i'm sure if they had right, something right. with writing or acting and stuff like that, i love getting deep in the weeds right yep. for for actual arts that i'm involved in creatively but for music which is you know i haven't been involved in that's why right. you know for me i didn't you know but i totally get it for you and probably for nate like as with given the fact that you know as a well, musician then- for him and his musical background
2: well, then, I mean, after interviewing all these producers, like, you know, Will I Am and so on for EQ, I realized, look, you know, these guys might not be articulate about what they're doing, but they know what they're doing. And unbeknownst to a lot of people, Oxbow started as a solo project, and I had intended to actually say, right, I don't need musicians, I'm going to take some samples here and samples there, and, and after about a couple of weeks of that, I was like to hell with this where's nico <laughs> i just couldn't i couldn't hack it man it's not it's not that easy it's really not that easy it's really complicated and uh and so i appreciate it and i, I appreciate it. even though i got a weird thing with hotels i appreciated it so
0: and i i think the thing with the the geeking out on the records it's important to remember you know hip-hop's sort of a secondary uh, uh a fourth wall musical medium i mean you know regular musicians traditional musicians geek out over guitar strings right. or what kind of amp they're using and you have special specialist magazines for that whereas i think this is a good reminder that records are the foundation of of hip hop music and so you see these guys geeking out of, out of over records and i think the thing the narrative point of all this was twofold. It was it was to give a little bit of behind the scenes, talk about the samplers, talk about the records, but also to set up this whole generation of producers that comes out of New York, who didn't make any records that merited being in the series. Right. Until that's that's they right they get right. pulled together, and we'll get to that yeah. in a minute. But and so then that but that begs the question: What did they leave out of this section? And they they, they interviewed about half of them, but they left out the digging in the crates crew. There was an actual crew called yeah. the Digging in the Courage wow. crew with Fat Joe and Buck Wilde and Lord Finesse, you know. And, and who, I that... I who I
3: think I would have, who I would have, who would have resonated more with me. I think that my disconnect also is as the, the people they focused on were producers and music industry people I was familiar with, but as a casual, right? Someone read all the magazines and trying to keep up with the industry, but like, you know, from the fan side as an insider side, the individuals who they were featuring, they were, well, they had premier on there, right? Like DJ Premier, and then maybe a little bit of Pete Rock, but other guys, the Beat Miners, like, they're people, like the people you're familiar with, but like, they were not setting any kind of trends, or they were not the individuals who at least, you know, I couldn't name you a beat minor song. You know what I mean? Like, so then you actually look these people up and I'm like, okay, wait a second. Was I just like, was I just involved in a certain kind of music? Like, no, it was just so it just, again, for the resonance, for me, I think it kind of goes back to a criticism that we had, um, I'm looping you guys in for past episodes, which is, I understand why they focus on some people. And, but the problem is sometimes there's a false equivalence in terms of impact. And, you know, so I just, it would have resonated with me more if there were individuals who actually produced more content I was familiar with. And back in the day when I was a huge hip hop, I was like, oh my God, they got like, you know, so I see Pete Rock, I was like, oh, I remember Pete Rock like having his couple of hits and trying to bank off of Mech and the Soul Brother. You know what I mean? So, 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 yeah, so that to me, that's what also was the disconnect and why at a certain point I was like, man, they're really going deep in the weeds with some of the people that they have here as opposed to individuals who I would have preferred to have heard.
0: Well, that's good. Well, I, I, Go well, I kind of like it because I, I thought, I thought of this as kind of a thread pulling episode where they obviously can't cover every great hip hop album that was ever made or every important crew. Can they not? Or whatever. But they can, but they can point you in a lot of directions. And they uh, had yeah. names on the screen, and you could, you know, I knew, I knew most of them, but there were some I didn't know, and I went to Google, and boom, you know, and then I'm in a whole new record, and, and so I like that, you know, pulling the thread also- thing.
2: Also, I, I, it makes me think. Uh, it makes me think of like, uh, like mathematicians. You know, they are mathematicians who, like, well, usually they hit in their early twenties, early. Like, if you pay attention to that whole that weird subset of mathematicians, like they do all the amazing shit they're gonna do. Like before they're 30, right? Right. Typically, and then but then they have careers after that where they're just toiling away at like blackboards full of figures endlessly until uh, my friend, uh, his father, uh, Steve Cohen, his father's a phenomenal mathematician. That guy died died a few years ago. I had no idea what he was working on, but he was always working on something. Similarly, my sister says, "Oh, you know, Jean, she's won a Grammy before, and she's a singer and so on." And she's, I go, "What are you doing? Who you working with now?" She goes, "I'm doing." some I got one of the people working on my things now is Pete Rock and I go Pete Rock I was just, yeah, that guy I thought that guy was dead she's like no and you know and these these geek, geek you know the geek element he's off like these mathematicians producing working on stuff experimenting it doesn't really seem to matter to him that the step that Alexi's talking about uh, of the commercial application and recognition as long as he's got money to eat He's like, whatever, man. And they're sitting in their labs doing their twiddling knobs or doing whatever, trying to discover that thing still. And that makes sense. That totally makes
3: sense. And, and, And what I like about that, again, is the fact that, you know, you have, I think one of the things that happens, especially in this culture slash society is there's so much focus when someone is hit is a hit and you know and they're 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 in the public sphere and people are aware of them but the fact of the matter is they had lives before they hit and they have lives after they hit and it is fascinating yep. to see like you mentioned you have an individual who just you talk about Pete Rock like for a hot year or two like, mm-hmm. was just all over, like almost too much all over the fucking place. The fact of the matter is, when the fame goes away, he's still there and he's like, oh yeah, fuck, I don't do music anymore.
2: You know, so it's, it's, right. so, yeah. And if he's smart, he's got money left over so he doesn't have to do mm-hmm. anything he doesn't really want to do. Yeah. You know? And also, um-
0: the other thing they left out of the segment is that you wouldn't even know from this that Pete Rock was ever a named performer. You would just right. see him as
2: a Yes, yes, too. yes, yes, yes.
0: And they erased the whole Pete Rock CL Smooth thing, which I ignored at the time because I was like, I heard enough love songs from, you know, L Cool Day. I don't, I, you know, I'm not in the demo for this, whatever. <laughs> Going back and listening to this prepare for the show, I was like, wow, there's some cool beats here. Yeah. And, and, yeah, you know, yeah. I was missing out uh, just by being a sexist pig or whatever and thinking I was too cool for girl music. But, you know. So, but let's get to the hey, SP
2: 1200. Hey, that dudes who like love songs. I love uh, love songs. I'm I, a lover, not a fighter. Uh,
0: uh, of course, of course. But let's get to the SP 1200. So then they they segue from the records into what you do with the records, which is you hook them up to a sampler. We are past the Rick Rubin stage where you had to do all your samples Damn. with a turntable live, you know, or or eight tracks or whatever, like Q Tip is described. And so you got the SP 1200, and they allude to it, but they don't mention that. You know, it's a I think it's an eight-bit sampler. So it's not yeah. sampling the full sound picture. And that's why it sounds so gritty and funky and cool. Uh, you know, they they he does say large professors of the circuitry in there makes it sound scuffed like that, that real New York sound. And yeah. then they get Q-tip talking about how large professors showed him the guts of the SP twelve hundred, et cetera, et cetera. And I just gotta get on my soapbox here because I I knew enough to know that the guy who taught large professor is totally erased from this. And his name's Paul C. McCasty. He was murdered when he was 24 years old, producer in Queenie, the first ultramagnetic MC zone. Oh, right. And he taught Large Professor how to do the SP 1200. And you'd never know. And I don't know what they could have done to throw that in there because it'd be totally depressing to be like, oh, there was this guy and he just was getting started, but he was the real genius that showed, you know, Large Professor how to do this shit. But I just want to drop it in there. how,
2: How did he get killed?
0: Somebody. Jacked him in his house I think it was after A recording session He went home And somebody killed him It was on America's Most Wanted And the whole bit Fuck They
2: catch the person They catch the person Who did it
0: They did They did Catch catch, catch, catch the person You know But uh, So But now let's segue Anything else on SP-1200? Was it too geeky for you, Alexi? No,
3: or that was, was interesting. They When they got into that, I was like, oh, this is interesting. It's no longer the, you know,
2: my record, well, what, what column. What, 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 what I liked about it is that it was like a musical Twitter, right, because it was time limited with how long of a sample you could make. So you had to like, you know, you got it, seven seconds, boom, you're done. I think it was 10 seconds, but yeah.
0: Yeah, and they showed the way that they, you know, could modify the pitches and and right. do all the things. And so you'd take one note, which I always thought was kind of weird. Like they're so fixated on these particular records by artists they loved, then they take one note from it and distort it so much you could never tell what it was from. So you know, I don't know. Well, the like- other thing
3: too is, and this is why, in terms of my my little bitterness and and you know and losing interest relatively early, is it'd be one thing. I was around when those guys were like were, were releasing stuff. And so to me, like I, I get what you're saying, Eugene, like all oh, the amount of time that's taken this stuff, but at the end of the day, mm. it's like, when i'm remembering or reminiscing about the music that some of the people featured put out wasn't memorable it wasn't great back in the day either you know yeah, what i mean so yeah, it's yeah. Like, okay a whole okay, bunch okay. Of this i'm going
2: to just, stop you there because the, the 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 hose by which you would have known that they were great was freaking commercial radio fuck commercial radio man unless you were listening to a college radio station that I was. Had, you know uh, I was, just, okay. I was getting then, underground tapes and
0: how do you Remember?
2: Yeah. Okay. Then you had a legit, a legit uh, hip hop DJ. Then generally, you were just getting the shit that they 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 were giving you. You know. Yeah.
3: No, because I um. had. You have to understand. Like also, like I was, I was hanging around the too cool for school motherfuckers, like in the art mm. scene in DC and yeah, you know yeah, people in the art yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Listen to this. Listen. To this. Oh, people are like this. If this isn't him. This is hitting. And so you know.
2: Just, yeah. 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 Well, but I also to go back. Nate, we, we we took a section of. Why don't we do it in the road, slowed it down, turned it backwards, (laughs) took the drum beat out of it, and used it in an Oxbow song. Nobody knows that but us and now you. (laughs) Why did we do it? Uh, we felt like it yeah i do you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's
0: move on to the Nas section yes! so then then they they introduce you know that they they've they've, Nas they've
2: introduced... who used to beat beat his wife kellis i understand oh man he's yeah. trying to ruin all the fun i <laughs> always i always said nasty Nas. Him. it wasn't you know uh, i'm respectful sorry i tell you what i'm what i'm hearing that's all
0: i see all right all right but they, they introduced, you know, the, the concept, of there's all these innovative prof- producers out there in New York City. They're using SB-1200. They're diving in the crates. But ultimately, they need a new generation of street-hardened MCs to match it. And so, and they, they posit Nas as the guy who stands head and shoulders above everybody else, basically because he's got a one verse on a main source album, which main source is really good, but they were never popular or successful. But obviously in New York, you know, it was getting the buzz. You know, and they and they talk to Faith Newman, who signed him to I think CBS Columbia at the time, and and lots of quotes of his uh, rap, et cetera, et cetera. But I got to jump in there, and then again, they leave out the white guy because MC Search, MC Search totally ah! signed Nas, like Large Professor did. Right. sign. Nas was out there in the wilderness <sighs> looking for a deal for like two years. Fuck and it, hey, Search, I, forgot the I forgot them. He's the named executive producer right. the I forgot them. These on names exactly that's right. I mean. It's like, I'm starting to notice a trend. I mean, they left out Vanilla Ice. Now I'm <laughs> I barely mentioned. the uh, Well, because when uh, the guys oh, talk about our music
3: and our culture of being a Canadian... uh <laughs> Yeah, what do you mean an hour?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know that it's a, a conspiracy, but I did think it was funny that they just cold left MC Search out of here because he's the one who brought him to Faith Newman. Like, they literally... Well, maybe Faith Newman, like, they were like, oh, we could going to see him like, talk about Search. That's not true. You heard what?
3: No, 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 yeah. no, no. It wasn't MC Search. It was me. No,
2: no, 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 no. the nah. name the yeah. producer on the album. No,
3: I mean, no, 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 no. It's because, like, as a man, he had to put his name on there. But you know, really was me, there's a misogyny I was dealing with. That's that's a story. Yeah. But but you can go interview him if you want to, Canadian.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fucked, man. That makes me now the wife beating and then the, the screw at MC search. Now I'm depressed. Well, Nas didn't even participate in the show,
0: so you can't blame Nas for that. Yeah, like, yeah, right. And he didn't right, even right, talk right, to him right, either, so you know. Nah, but, yeah. But so thoughts on Nas and the Illmatic? And the, and the Illmatic
3: classic. Like classic album. Classic. It totally was something that I listened to it today in preparation for this show. Sometimes you listen to stuff and even when they are referencing certain songs that I look up like, oh yeah, that's right. Larger Professor did, what song was it? And then you listen to it and it totally brings you back in the sense that the grittiness, yep. the, the nastiness, um, you know, and, and that's the thing about The fascinating thing I found about his album, and I'm not going to go into Wu-Tang, but there's a similar current, which is there's so many different kinds of perspectives, which, so you have the whole, the street thing, which I was never a fan of, and the drug dealing and all this kind of stuff, and the criminal activity, you know, being a straight edge, not knowing a straight edge, but you also have the conscious... You, consciousness, you have the letter to the guy in prison, you know, so it, it's just really fascinating to hear just ex- exactly the way that one of the people mentioned on the, uh, one of the commenters was, you know, you really feel like you are put into Queensbridge and a certain kind of lifestyle and just, just being a part of what's going on. You know, and just being drawn into it and just and, and getting different slice of life and just how complicated it just in other words, it just also wasn't it wasn't facile like straightforward rhyming for the sake of rhyming or like, oh, I'm gonna be hard, so I'm gonna do this rhyme. Like you the the lines that are hard are hard and hit you. The lines that are illuminate you do that too. So it, it just to this day, it totally survived the test of time as a classic. Even so when I was referencing the um when uh uh, I was referencing how Rolling Stone was trolling everyone with saying Lauryn Hill's Miss Education, Lauryn Hill, which only has half rap songs and half you know, pure vocal songs on it as the greatest rap album of all time. I was listening to Lost Ones, which I just listened to maybe three weeks ago as like a classic single. And three weeks ago, I listened to it's like, fuck, like this was, oh, I, I forgot like how tight her rhymes were. Right, so then I listened to Illmatic, I listened to Wu Tang, and in the wake of the Rolling Stone thing, I was going to share a clip with you guys and Nash, and I said, let me listen to Lost Ones again. And after listening to Nas, it like, uh, it's like, ah,
0: it's okay. <laughs> okay comparison, I mean, you know. yeah, I know.
2: Well, I I, I found it interesting for a, maybe a completely different reason, and that has to do with the fact that he did something um, that was. Which of course everybody does now, which is what my sister was doing when she was working with Pete Rock, and which has now become kind of a sort of standard. Um, he went to a bunch of different producers, mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, and 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 I have to tell you, I, I actually I didn't even tell you guys this with the with the Thin Black Duke, the Oxbow Oxbow record for the first time ever. We've been making records since nineteen music since nineteen eighty. For the first time ever, somebody suggested, hey, we're going to try to picks a a, a a mastering guy. Why don't we send out five different 30-second samples to five different mastering people? Of course, this is why the record was so expensive because you had to pay them, have them master it and see what comes back. And one of the cats that we had worked with was a big hip-hop uh, mastering guy. And he sent back he sent back um he sent back the 30 second segment of a song off of a thin black duke that sound that we was so crazy that we almost went with him because it was like Oxbow as a hip hop band. And, you know, I've been making music for a long time and I never would have thought, I thought mastering was just like somebody just comes in and puts the ding, you know, the Mm. the little gleam from the tooth on the record so that Nas was actually able to see like, you know, nah, for whatever reason he did it. I don't want to have all my eggs in this one guy's basket. I want to hear a number of different sounds. I want this to be a tapestry in total. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I, want, I have a variety. For whatever reason, he did it. Oh, then that's him.
0: that's the other thing they left out was he yep. had a DJ that he came up with named yep. Ill Will. Right, uh-huh. I think his name was or something. Will Graham, something. Um, but the kid got killed right before he got to record anything. So it's kind of like Harris Swan yeah. and Scott LaRock, you know. Mm-hmm. So he's got that partner who's dead. So he didn't have a partner relationship with large professor or any of those guys. So, you know. Well,
2: well, yeah, that was maybe a, 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 a causal, a causal agent. But the fact of the matter was, it actually, I think it, it. Um, it I think he was better off having done it that way. Yeah, it totally works because
3: so many different, and that's the thing, listening Mm -hmm. to it again is the fact you have so many different, something that I'm, I'm, you know, I was more heightened in my awareness of it now as Mm it was back in the day, whereas you're just looking at, oh yeah, whatever. You know, there's so many different kinds of styles right in terms of the production but it all works together that's the thing that's so fascinating about this album is the fact yeah, that yeah, yeah. you're not a it's lot of times you listen yeah. to it and it gets tired or like okay here we go again like oh it's the b-side finally like but this one had so many different kinds of sounds and styles and it all flowed together
2: that's the thing well, also, the also, He was a medium for them to communicate. Yes. With the, the, for them for them to communicate with each other, which was so perfect. Uh, yeah. They said, you know, without any kind of envy. Jay was like, it was Escaladio. It was like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So they were all trying to make. You know, in, in a secondary or tertiary way, they were all trying to best the other yeah. producer, and in the end, the beneficiary, the very direct beneficiary, was of course Nas. So. And it's a short and album too; it's only like thirty-eight minutes. And the, and, and, and listeners, yeah, yeah, all right.
0: And and that was another thing because that was in the period where the the rap CDs were starting to bloat. And that's literally what pushed me out of following hip hop was you mm-hmm. couldn't get it on vinyl anymore because when you did track down the vinyl <laughs> of of something that was a 70 minute CD, it would skip because it was just too much shit in the grooves. You know? Well, and also,
2: like- also that you drop after I think it's 22 minutes max aside with vinyl, and if you push it beyond that, you get like there you, you lose skip. a D. No, it's not even skips it. You start to lose a dB, so you get oh, quiet wow. mur- murky records that are just crap. So you know they just didn't care. And the reality of it is not in same thing with cds if you push 75 minutes but just because you can put 75 minutes in the cd doesn't mean you should put seventy-five minutes. yeah Absolutely. we don't need eight no.
0: skits and, no and, no and no, the no remix in no. the backwards like so yeah but, yeah, yeah. yeah but so that and i think that it's important though that they get this because that did become a big trend and like you say unlike some cds you'll hear now or records it, it doesn't sound like a, you have eight different producers with wildly different sounds and it's just right. clunk, 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 you know, just slapped together right. and you can tell they did it through the mail. It's like these guys, like, like I think it's Buster Rhymes that says this, they were all friends. They all yeah. knew each other. So all these right. producers knew each other. They're all working with the same kind of tools. So they get the same basic sonic palette to work from. So it's not some, you know, it's not disjointed at all. Well, they, they,
2: also, they also realized they were working on the same record. So it, they didn't want to be the guy who people said, all the other guys were okay, but that, that guy, they didn't want to be that guy. So they had an interest in, in making the mosaic so work. So how, how much of it do you
3: think then it is as well when you talk about like, you know, making the mosaic work? Because they knew what they had with Nas as well. Right. In the sense if you're dealing mm-hmm. with a guy's like this guy's fucking it and he's going to be like if you know how great this guy is, you don't want to be you know, you don't want to come up yeah. you don't want to be the one with the whack track on his on his debut. How much well, of that do you also- think it was?
2: also you got to remember in the days before file stealing these cats were getting getting points on this record mm. producers got points on records so if that record goes triple platinum that guy's getting he's not like he, he's you know they're not all Steve Albini with the I want a flat fee I shouldn't have anything to do with the record success nah they got points I mm. mean uh, so if you wonder how Pete Rock is living now that's how Pete Rock is living wow. now <laughs> you know
3: Pete Rock yeah. remix no matter how he got all these fucking remixes on everything. I was looking up at stuff it as it's like mm-hmm. people... That's right. He was a guy who like would have unnecessary remixes that were worse than the original recording.
0: <laughs> you such a hater. Anyway, we'll be back next time and we'll finish up this episode uh, talking about the Wu-Tang Clan and Notorious B.I.G.
3: That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 d- 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 there we go. That's right. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right,
1: thanks, guys. Thank you. Here's Wu-Tang Clan's Protect Your Neck
2: smoking Joe Fraser, the hell razor, raising hell with the flavor, about the jam like troops in Pakistan, swing through your town like your neighborhood, spider man. So all tick tock and keep ticking. Well, I get to flipping off the ship. I'm kicking the Lone Ranger, co wet danger, deep in the dark with the art to whip the job support the the vandal. Too hot to handle your battle. is saying goodbye, like every cable. What neck inspect the deck set,
1: the And now a word from our sponsors. And here's Notorious Big doing Juicy. It was all a dream.
2: I used to read Word Up magazine. Salt and pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic, Molly, Mall. I let my tape rock till my tape pop. Smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack. With the hat to match. Remember rapping Duke? The ha da-ha, da-ha. You never thought that hip-hop would take it this far. Now I'm in the limelight
0: it's time to let it roll we're continuing our discussion of hip-hop evolution season two episode three a new york state of mind we've already talked about naz and Elmatic and a bunch of other stuff going on in new york in the early 90s and now we turn to part two of the episode with the wu-tang clan and the notorious big
3: i, <laughs> I gotta write this time yeah.
0: <laughs> indeed 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 so it seems like the main things they want us to get from the Wu Tang Clan, and, and and they and they led up with this, is that the, the trend had been starting with Nas was a bunch of producers and one rapper, you right? Know, like the Illmatic's the first of the the great rap masterpieces with multiple producers that had never been done before, but Wu Tang flips that formula and it's one genius producer, nine MCs and nine plus MCs. I mean they keep adding, they add people down the road. Mm. That seems to be the main thing, and then Staten Island. This is the forgotten borough. Have you
2: ever Yeah, man. I a got big... into a, I got into a big riot on Staten Island. A riot <laughs> on Staten yeah. Island. You'd oh.
0: to tell the tale?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it was great, man. I I, I rode out of Staten Island, standing on the hood of a, a guy's woody station wagon with a bat, baseball bat in my hand. It was like something straight out of the Warriors. I'm not kidding you. What Welcome year to was Staten this? Island? is 1982 or 83 um, and then the last time was a few years ago when I did that mafia piece we went by Paul Castellano's house uh, it's mansion which is now uh, occupied by an Albanian plumber what? It's a humble plumber <laughs> we used to set up the tripod security squad like three seconds away and uh, my video guy comes over and goes hey Eugene the security squad said you know you can't and I was like Are you a man? Are you a mouse? You get over there, you film. You're a member of the, you know, the fourth estate. You can do whatever you want. He goes, where are you going to be? I go, I'm going to be in the car.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Well, that a off topic, but interesting. Yes. <laughs> That's all right. All right. But so Staten Island, I mean, the backwater of the five boroughs by yes. far. Like they, like I think it's Rayquan yeah. the chef says, you have to ride in a ferry for 30 minutes just to get there. Well, come and on,
2: do, 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 do the mechanics. If you meet somebody in a disco in Manhattan, you think she's going to get on the subway to a ferry to go with you to some sketch? Yeah. Every place in Staten Island sketch. Because if you don't like it, how the hell are you going to get out of there? No way.
3: I I dated a girl at Staten Island, and there was a time in which she was like, she was at her her home, and she was like, uh, Yeah, I think I hear a noise. I was like, Okay. She's like, You going to come and and stay with me? I was like, (laughs) Get on a ferry? Like, No, I'm in Brooklyn. (laughs) Fuck that. It was nice knowing you. (laughs) You you, you
2: can't take the Veronzano Bridge over, right? But still, come on, man. If you drive, I mean, you know, it's not going to.
0: The middle of nowhere and and rizza formerly prince rakeem and they don't mention that at all and i am kind of blown they him. should,
2: have. They should yeah. have yeah
0: but we love you right? know, RZA puts this thing together with the nine mcs and it's one of these things where he basically i mean a lot of the, i mean two of the guys were his cousins and several of them he'd grown up with but basically Odie, Odie he, had, be a he had the yeah. pick of all the best mcs in staten island you know and so and and he put together this crew with this vision of you know, kung fu movies and comic books. I mean, just a very creative vision that was more fantastical than anything we'd seen up at, in hip hop up to this point. Am I right? I mean, they anything well?
2: What, what, what I lo- loved about it it was that it was it was a perfect distillant of what everybody thinks you're crazy for talking about when you talk about a movie like Taxi Driver, and they go, "Oh man, the set design! Set design! Nothing!" that's how it was and these kids all you know your parents would give you some money and set you free and you would end up on 42nd seconds it was like a, a criminal bazaar but they also had the greatest craziest kung fu movie totally and you could you could sit for uh, 75 cents and you could sit there for four hours and see four different kung fu flicks so it was you know this pastiche of Times Square during what you know the, the youth in me says it was his heyday and you know Kung Fu movement. it was a really perfect perfect blend and there was always a, a black presence in martial arts I did a piece on it for Ozzy going back to Moses Powell and like all of the old the guys who came from the Korean War which studied martial arts in Korea and then came back to the hoods and started teaching people like karate you know in advance of Bruce Lee so that was always a, a pretty serious presence you know
0: yeah, so they distilled that, and then they had nine guys. And you would, like, you know, I think it's Bones Malone who said, you know, Riza played me the tape, and I laughed, like, nobody's going to understand any of this. And nine guys, no way. Right. But Because their personalities were so distinct. Um, <laughs> there was room for them. I mean, there's only one. Bones
2: Malone, the Eugene Robinson of hip-hop. You'll <laughs> you'll never make it ever.
0: <laughs> and he admits he regrets that. He admits, you know, but- yep, yep. But, you know, you had you had Jizza, who's the genius, who's just a classic rapper, ODB. Who had
3: a record master. deal. For, he had a record deal as
2: well. Yeah, and so, we'll right. get to that. That's the one that they missed. Who are your, who your favorites? Who are your favorites? Fine.
3: Yeah, oh, rank them. Good. Yeah, number one. Yeah, number one, hands no, down.
2: I, I, I go, I go with Method Man. Ah, so Me- Method Man, o- O-D- ODB, and then Ghostface. These are my favorites.
3: See, my style O-D-B. different from yours. Make a young bitch
2: want to drop for draw. <laughs> <laughs> Tripping on Bacardi and acid. See, <laughs> that's how I roll it with it. With, with mess.
0: I gotta go with O D B and then Raekwon. And then Riza and then Jizz. Well let me ask DZA. you this thing. Uh, so.
3: I forgot Raekwon. Well, see the that's the thing. You are know, you know. are you rating them as they appear as a group or are you including No, I'm
2: talking outs about all if, all, you, all around? Well, You gotta if, include everything. If I line up all my solo records, I've got I probably actually it's, you're right. I have all of ODBs, I've got all of Ghostface. And I think I have one of Methods, and then I have all of Raekwon's. He, he dropped off for me with immobility. I not think that was a very good. Well, record, the
0: key so. thing there is RZA only produced like the
2: first cup, first one or first yep.
0: couple for most of them, you know. But they don't get into that. This is just about the genesis of Wu Tang. They don't get into the whole decline and fall. And there's a great documentary that I think it's on Showtime of my Smith. It's, and it's men, great. It's great. Yeah. Four part. Uh, that's well worth watching. But like 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 Alexi was saying, and I teased already. Like the, the big one of the biggest things they left out was that RZA and Jizza had both had solo careers. Jizza is the genius on Cold Chillin', you know, the storied label that brought us Big Daddy Kane and Biz Markie. and then um, RZA was Prince Rakeem on Tommy Boy, and if, have you watched that video he did? I mean, it's like a parody of Harry Yeah. We
2: love,
3: you, we love you, Raheem!
2: We love you, Raheem! All the ladies, they love me! <laughs> <laughs> Was the wrong guy to be trying to tell you. that was great. Top, I mean, so he, so hold on, hold on. Did that come that that had to come before <laughs> Gravediggers, right? Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. Grave that was, was before the Wu
3: Tang. Which came oh, first, though? Really? So, yeah, so yeah, it was. First? Yes. Yeah, okay. Wu
0: tangs first, man.
3: Did the okay. the Jizza though? Um, his came. He was the first one though. Like, come do me, right? Ooh, come do me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The
0: and Prince and Prince Rakim were contemporaneous. Like they both had major, or you know, major hip hop label, major powerful indie hip hop indie labels putting an album out on them, and they both flopped, and and that's why I mean to me RZA is just up there with like I don't I mean Barry Gordy or Phil Spector is in terms of a business genius, and and that's the other thing they left out is his brother Divine who is the CEO of Wu Tang and who's been exiled from the whole family. He's he's bitter. Yeah, and and you know, and, and there's a case for it, but I mean the brilliance of what they pulled off on the business side, the fact that they signed a deal where they were all free to then sign other deals, and then, but they were all signed to the Wu Tang Productions, so that they they didn't have their independent deals, but you know, then RZA puts out like seven different albums on these guys within a two three year period that he produced, and his production style, like they say is a major advance in the state of the art. I mean, you know, and it's just wacky. I mean, it's a really dirty, dirty sound. Off key loops are out of kilter, but it just works perfectly. And, you know.
3: But especially uh, with the, especially with a kung fu flick thing, right? You talk about off kilter. Yep. There's nothing more off kilter than, damn you, I'll give you to the count of three. <laughs> exactly. One, two, three. Get out of here! Damn you! So, you're accustomed when you. So, as soon as you hear that, as soon as that album drop as soon as you yeah. hear the first, it puts you totally in the mindset of just this alternate kind of everything out of sync world. And that's what yeah. Kung Fu flicks were.
0: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I thought they did a pretty good job of telling the Wu Tang story, you know, of just the beginning. And I think that's pretty appropriate. Like, Wu Tang. Definitely merits being in the in the in the series, but I don't think you need to go into the full like multiple episodes on Wu Tang or anything like that. I think they made a pretty good choice to introduce yep, Wu Tang yep, yep. and let people go off and just because ultimately, I mean, they were like one of those cult acts that was just immensely popular. But I think yep. ultimately they're a cult act. Why
3: yeah. is that? How do you how do you define if that?
2: You first <laughs> your first encounter with them is seeing meth in Soul Plane. Which I just happened to see the other night. And that's, that's, that's a hallucinatorily good movie. Because it's so bad, it is good. Whereas Leonard Part 6 is hallucinatorily bad and stays bad. Meth in soul plane, two thumbs up. What do you mean is cult?
3: What do you mean McCultish, cultish, Nate? How are you defining well, I just that? I mean
2: that yeah.
0: it's not it's not ever going to be mainstream Diddy or or yeah. Jay-Z. I mean, this right. you know, the chicks never dug Wu-Tang, really. I mean, it's just it was so well done. Ice creams, baby. I thought they, so they had all the ladies in that video.
3: <laughs> that it, it yeah.
0: blew up. You know, and, and 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 I mean they were immensely popular, but it's just you know to get into the Wu Tang, I mean it, you're talking seven CDs, boom, boom, boom. Right. And that's yeah. why I fell behind. I mean I had a roommate who had Wu Tang Clan, then I didn't have a CD player for years, and I tuned out of new music, and so I missed all this stuff. So I've really enjoyed going back yeah. and making making up. And then the one last thing I want to mention is, man ODB got a raw deal. I mean obviously the dude fucked up, the drug addict, but. My awareness of him had just been like headlines of arrested, charged, jail sentence, and then when you actually look at what he was charged with and convicted of, yeah. like when they charged him with shooting at people, he didn't have a gun in his car, and then yeah. and then they sent him to jail and probation violation, but wearing a bulletproof vest. I mean, just
2: total, total yeah. bullshit. Yeah, yeah, it was bullshit. And, and then the, the, uh, Chang Sophia Chang, she has written a book and and she uh, was uh, interviewed. Uh, on 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 some on an Aussie show and um, one of the things that she kind of alluded to or talked about was mental illness and about some of these guys, you know, it's a standard record label, Dodge. some It was well known that some of these guys should have, I'm not talking about Wu-Tang specifically, but in general, people who need to get help are often not Gotten help by the record labels, they're, they're the worst aspects are Aiden abetted. Can I get you something? Can I get right? You? And right. she she was feeling that he was poorly served mm. by the professional forces around him,
1: yeah. and also
0: his family. I think, I think, yeah, I think you know, and and um and the irony of him being cousins with Riza and you know, and it was in the Wu Tang documentary it makes it pretty clear that for RZA, RZA and Divine losing ODB, like they let all the other guys go. Yeah, Divine didn't want to, but RZA was like, "No, we gotta let him go." Um, but ODB, it really hurt him to let go, and they had yeah. a whole plan for bringing him back. And and you know, they had lost his trust, just like they lost the trust of all the other guys. It's it's just a tragedy, and the guy gave so much, and it's really just a beautiful yeah. soul, you know. And, yeah. And-
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Anyway, but, but then... But cocaine uh, is a dangerous recreational drug.
3: One <laughs> thing they didn't say, though, that I don't think they really focus on as much, and they talk, talk about grittiness and everything, but listening to Enter the 36 Chambers again before the show... The thing that really appealed to me about Wu Tang, it wasn't just the story, right? Because you hear about all these guys, like they couldn't get a record deal, so they did their own record, right? So it just seemed like it was just it was really mythic about these guys who just came together to put something together. Then the combination of the kung fu flicks, but it's the and then as you're going to get into like I guess uh, as you get into um, to to uh, to Biggie. The thing I was really clear about it is the fact that there was this energy, this 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 grittiness, this bitterness, this frustration at the industry. I mean, Raekwon talking about how he I have a beef with commercial ass n words with gold teeth, Lampin and Alexis. Eaten beef right so that if then cash rules everything around me which is a critique of how materialistic stuff is I mean it's the way in which they were analyzing and viewing and critiquing the world around them uh, and it's it, it it just you that's where we' illmatic with nas I mean it's, it's it's the same similar kind of thing in the sense that the rawness and the realness, right? When you talk about something being real, I mean, you just totally felt it with to this to this day.
0: And I'm glad you, you, you feel it up because I think. Somebody said that I read recently was that Wu Tang were the first guys who talked about gangster stuff, but weren't pretending to be hard. I mean, they were obviously tough guys, and they were hard, but they admitted this stuff hurt them. Yeah. You know yes. Is it Raekwon that had to share the four pair of jeans with his brothers, and yeah. had yeah. the two brothers? With, or, or was it Ghostface that had the two brothers? But even but even in
3: it. the line, even the line in um, in Cash was everything around me when he's talking about the fact that like how he grew. Uh, uh, it can't be so simple he talks about he grew up poor and broke and the only way he was able to get some money was selling drugs and even then he's wearing the same low sweater meaning the same kind of like you know it wasn't a big label thing so so it kind of goes back to the whole thing of I think what's lost with hip hop nowadays, as opposed to back in the day, was when people sometimes you had this braggadocious stuff, but there's a certain aspirational quality of somebody who hadn't made it. And they're in even like Ghostface, right? Like it can't be so simple. Like he's he's talking about like how he wants me the spotlight and get his dick rode all night. Like it's just aspirational, these dreams and these fantasies these guys have wanting to make it. And that, as opposed to. The puffification of the world was, oh, I'm already here and fuck the rest of you guys. And the Jay Z, like, I'm rich. You know, it's just there's yeah. something lost yeah, there, with but that. But
2: there's, there's, there's something to do with their, their their space, their place in space. And and, and I think the, the the veteran status, a long time presence in the industry, where you're part of the industry but you're not part of the the velvet chair industry. Right. You know, it's like. You know, I'm I'm taking the subway to shows. I'm not getting picked up for shows. You know, if uh, I, I get bumped off the of source covers, you know, I'm uh, you know, uh, P. Diddy made fun of that guy as like you know the uh, the, uh, the the hater. Yeah, um, oh, he had a special name. I forget what his name was in all in all of his uh, Biggie skits. You know? The mad rapper. Uh, the mad ra- The mad rapper. Exactly. Thank you. And uh, um, but these guys were like, yeah, you know what. I've been doing this for a long time. And I have been close enough to taste it. And at the same time, you know, what did meth do on that documentary? He, what his, he had like worked in a grocery store. So I mean, the, their futures were really, really stark. Like, I got to make work here, or right, it's back to the fucking grocery store, man. I think All right, and that's was it. Stealing, you know? I think
0: it was Rayquan that worked at the grocery store. No,
2: no, no, because he meth a is chef. up. No, because meth was on the ferry, and then he sees the, or or they encounter some old white guy, and he and he calls him, "Oh, hey, Mister Richardson," and this was his boss from his his yeah. It wasn't a grocery
0: of, souvenir stand at, at at the Statue of Liberty. Yeah,
2: there you go. Whatever it was. Yeah, yeah but it? he
0: also was a dealer. But yeah, that yeah was yeah. A,
2: yeah. So, so like that, that, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. Because you know, how many dealers do you see in the hood that 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 were rich? people are temporarily rich <laughs> you know i know guys who used to drive mercedes benzes and now they drive rusty pickup trucks you know it's so you, you get this kind of stark line but so yeah. i think they they you know they were they were driven and they were driven mm-hmm.
0: yeah and so now let's turn to, to biggie smalls the notorious big that, that's the last uh, figure that they cover and this is just the beginning of biggie and they'll obviously be back to biggie i think in the next episode when they finally do the whole East Coast versus West Coast thing. I thought they did a good job of capturing what it was about Biggie, that he was this unique persona, he was a great rapper, he was very street, and he was New York's answer to Snoop Dogg, essentially. I mean, you know, that P. Diddy, you know, uh, Puff Daddy, Sean Combs was looking for somebody who could be the answer to the chronic. Like, you know, Nas was great, and Wu-Tang was great and stuff, but they, you know, New York... They want something to
2: get the mojo back.
0: Yeah, to be not just big or great, but to be the biggest
2: rapper (laughs) in the world. Right. And and what was noteworthy about him was that he really perfectly exemplified. Remember, we're talking about how like all the chronic was car music, but he perfectly exemplified um, how New Yorkers listen to music, the way they listen to music and where they listen to music. You know, I mean, it was very much even the rhythmic patterns were very kind of you know, staccato rhythms. It was very much of like a, a subway walking down the street, mm. headphone, you know, MP3 thing, and not not in the car, you know, not my six five hitting switch.
0: Yeah, so or boombox on the corner, you know, yeah. or or just kids rapping on the on the stoops and, right, and that yeah, whole right. thing. And right. and so and 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 they get that that you know, it was this combination of very street very unique persona incredibly charismatic guy I mean he's like a fatty Arbuckle type guy I mean, <laughs> it's a very rare thing where you have a big you know overweight guy who's ugly but hot the chicks all love this guy
2: you know but there's a, but, but in the black community we, we, there's a, it was it was a long tradition that from fats waller to you know the I mean, well, sure. uh, a, we got I'm playing on the the a right lovable, 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 fat guys who got lots of action,
0: you know. Yeah, yeah, we got we got that over on this side too. I mean, it's not,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, Louis uh, Louis Anderson, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Louis Anderson, uh, but and then the the marriage, uh, the partnership of, of Biggie and and Sean Combs, and and this oh, street Mr. rapper who we and, call Mr. Uh, Felatio. Let's not get into that the latest latest dirt that, that came out on on Combs, but allegedly. Um, but you know, Puffy wasn't a genius producer, but he assembled a really good crew of producers underneath him, and added this R&B uh, sweetness. Underneath them. <laughs> Sorry, You're uh, always always uh, your favorite, but um, you know, he he commercialized Biggie. Not I think Biggie would have been big anyway. But Puff Daddy took him to the top. And and you know, I thought Lil' Kim explained it really well and, and that you know Puff Daddy knew to get him right in hooks. And I really enjoyed going back and listening uh, to that first biggie album, Ready to Die. Yeah. And then I hadn't realized like I was listening to it on the streaming service and I was like, this isn't right, you know, like this isn't the song I remember. Mm-hmm. And then I wiki it. And in 2006 they lost a lawsuit with the Ohio players and several other people they had sampled without giving clearances and they just fucking redid the backing oh. tracks. And they changed lyrics. so they like he mentioned he references the 1993 World Trade Center bombing, like something that gets wrecked like the World trade. They bleep that shit out. And so yeah. I had to go track down you know a copy on eBay because I, I want the real shit and I' yeah, yeah, yeah. just appalling wow. And, and I think it's one of the things that these that creeps me out about the streaming services. You yeah. know, like, yeah. like, like there was a tiny, insignificant group called Power Bottom that had some kind of Me Too moment a few years ago, and their record label dropped them, and they were instantly erased from Spotify. And yeah. that gave me cold chills, because like you know, it could be Woody Guthrie or Chuck D, the future, you know, like get yeah. wiped one day by these yeah. services. And and you know, it's one thing if you got the CD. Yeah, you know, at least with mm. the, the big album, we can get the uh, copies of the old CD and we can burn it and upload it to the cloud and listen to it if we want to. But if it's all streaming, it's just gonna be gone one day.
2: Yeah, you know? man. I, yeah, I, yeah, and that's where I gotta side with Albini. I don't like the transient nature of the, of the form. And I remember when they, I still remember when they went from vinyl to, to to CD and they had to remix and remaster a lot of that stuff. And I'm like, listen, I go, you know, records. I, I never knew, got like, it right. Never got it right. A lot of never it. Never
0: got it right. Yep. You know, never got right. I mean, some of it was just notoriously crappy in the '80s. You know, and like yep. you know, Led Zeppelin. The first round of Led Zeppelin CDs was terrible, yep. and they're still butchering Jimi Hendrix. I mean, yep. they yep. makes it like you know, if you look at a Jimi Hendrix CD that comes out, it'll look like a brick because they've got yep. it compressed and maxed out so it sounds yep. as loud as whatever yep. the loudest metal album is, and the dynamics are all lost. But Anyway, when I found out, I, I thought that was really upsetting and really lame for Sean Combs to do that because he's got the money to license, to do um, it, right, to license
2: I, I've, it right. I've had the occasion to almost do business uh, at least two times with him and when I was editor-in-chief at Code Magazine. and we We're going to do some co-branded deal. And then secondarily, um, he, through my agent, had tapped me as a ghostwriter. He wanted to start a, a ghetto imprint Uh. But he wanted to get into books for some reason. And in both cases, he so aggressively lowballed me that the deals effectively never happened. It's just like I'm not gonna write a whole book for you with somebody else's name on it, you know, for a thousand dollars in thirty oh. days. Are you out of your mind? That's a two hundred fifty page book for a thousand dollars? Come on. That's like that's not even a penny a word, man. You know? But yeah. I get I guess he got to be a billionaire by not paying yeah. a penny a word
0: right absolutely absolutely yeah. and, and you know and and they'll turn they'll tell the rest of the story the biggie story in the next episode i think they'll they'll wrap it up um anything else about biggie that we need to cover the
2: horrible horrible uh uh, uh plastic surgery little uh, kim, just, little, man kim yeah. oh, man.
0: little Kim. yeah and it's just gotten worse it's gotten even worse since then but that's yeah. you know, and that's yeah. painful to me as a gen xer because she was Remarkably yep. attractive. Well, when you and also day. see
3: when she first came out, and like how she had very, when she first came out, like her first original nose. And then I think it was Might Be Radio to Die or the second album where she started to get the nose job.
0: And then yeah, it's just. Man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like Michael Jackson's first no jo- nose job was perfect. And if he could have stopped
2: there, but. But, but you like know, I was I was making fun of, of him, Michael Jackson specifically, to a friend of mine who was a surgeon. And I said, his plastic surgeon should be shot. And he goes, no, you shouldn't. Like, what do you mean? He goes, I'm friends with the guy. Goes, You're friends with Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon? He goes, yeah. He goes, he's really good. And I go, I don't think so. He goes, no, no. Michael Jackson came in with an illustration, looked at it. And the guy said, yeah, we can make this look more realistic. And, uh, and Michael Jackson goes, no, no. I want it like this. He goes, yeah, but we can he says no like this and the guy right away saw he goes I do exactly what he's got sketched on this paper or I lose the job so it's like it's your face cool so he did exactly what Michael Jackson had scribbled on this piece of paper that's what he wanted to look like so
0: yeah plastic surgery addiction it's no joke and that's the end of this episode of Let It Roll we'll be back next time to wrap up to talk about uh, the East Coast versus the West Coast and the fundamental tragedy, the biggest tragedy of hip-hop.
1: We'll take a few weeks off, and then Nate will be back with the 10th season of Let It Roll. Follow the Let It Roll podcast on Twitter, at Let It Roll and check out our website at letitrollpodcast.com. Let It Roll is a Pantheon podcast and you can listen to more great podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com.